Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Good morning, Dwell. Good morning. So as Cash said, I am uh, a little hoarse. I'm quite uh, under the weather a little bit, but we're going to make this work. It might be shorter sermon this morning, which is good for all of you, right? Like you got an extra hour of sleep and now you're getting out a little bit early because um, I may like eventually just start like not being able to talk or something like that might happen halfway through this. Um, but I am excited that we could be here either way. Um, maybe my voice sounds deeper. Maybe it sounds cooler. I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to try my best not to cough through this. You know, if you've ever been in drama class, they tell you, like, don't chew gum and don't have anything in your mouth when you're just, like, giving speeches. So I'm going to try not to, but if I have to throw a cough drop in, you hear it, like, you know, jumping around in my teeth, like, just ignore that, but I may have to go there eventually. I've taken about 54 of them this morning. Uh, before here, just, just knocking them down, uh, hopefully, to get us here. Um, so this, if you were here last week, uh, we got to talk about kind of a crazy topic and talking about um, Jesus, you know, casting out some demons and pigs and all kind of things. Um, today we get to talk about something that's really exciting. Um, it's really fruitful, it's very important, and it's quite unique um, in how Matthew's writing it uh, compared to the other Gospels. If you know the Bible a little bit, you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all giving kind of historical accounts, kind of different viewpoints of, of Jesus' life and ministry. And so a lot of times they have unique perspectives and unique um, ways that they write and, have, and saw things happen. Um, <clears throat> and so Matthew this morning talks about something that is quite unique in how that he writes it. Um, um, and so I'm not even going to do too much of an intro this morning. We're going to jump right into it. We're going to go ahead and get through this because um, I'm excited to get through it. I'm excited to um, really kind of hear what God has for us this morning. So as Cash just re- uh, read Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 8, it's this story um, of Jesus healing uh, a paralyzed man, which in and of itself is quite incredible, right? It just seems like something that's like, mind-blowing. If you've ever uh, heard of or saw or maybe witnessed or maybe experienced kind of a supernatural miracle type of thing, it always seems crazy. And back in this day when Jesus was there, this was something they had probably heard of. They probably had heard that Jesus was going around doing these things. Word was probably getting around that this, you know, magician is going around doing crazy things. crazy things. Um, And so a lot of people really probably wanted to see, they wanted to experience, they wanted to witness, they wanted to talk to or touch or be around Jesus, even if maybe they didn't really understand who he was, and maybe they didn't understand really much about him. They just thought, wow, if we can just like get around this guy, he's doing some pretty crazy things. And so, you know, it doesn't say exactly how many people uh, got this, this paralyzed uh, man, but I'm just assuming, you know, it's like four friends. They're like, look, we got to get this guy, and we got to get him to see this Jesus. We don't even know much about Jesus, but we've heard he healed people. We don't know who he is or how he's doing it, 
But if there's a chance, we should go for it. And so <clears throat> they go, and, and in the other Gospels, if you read it in, in, some of the, in Mark or in some of these other ones, you see that they carry this guy up onto a roof because the house is so packed. I want you to imagine if this place was packed out, standing room is completely booked, people are up here on the front, Jesus is up here just trying to get some words out because there's so many people. And then all of a sudden, you just start seeing dust fall from the ceiling and somebody's sawing through. You, you know, there's a lot of distractions in this kind of older building, right? You hear the, the heater come on sometimes with the chairs. But imagine someone's just sawing through a roof right now and then there's like lowering a guy. Like I'm assuming Jesus is just like paused and like looking. Everyone's like, oh my goodness, we're about to see some magic. Like it's about to happen. Like there's a dude floating from the ceiling right now. These guys are, you know, Jimmy and John up there lowering uh, this guy down. And, and it must have been kind of a crazy scene. And what's interesting is Matthew leaves all of this out. Matthew doesn't write anything about them bringing him and being packed out so they have to cut a hole and lower him through the roof. All Matthew says is some people brought to him a paralytic lying in bed. Now, I, for one, love you know, maybe uh, dramatizing a story, making it a little bit more exciting. And so I find it interesting when you have something that did happen that was quite crazy, quite unique, and the writer completely leaves it out. This tells me a couple things, or could tell you a couple things. Either one, this writer has no sense of uh, feedback from the audience and has no clue how to actually write uh, and get people to, like, lock into whatever he's writing, he or she. Or two, there's something much more important going on that he wants, that the writer wants the focus to be on. There doesn't need to be any distractions because there's something else that is so much more <clears throat> important, so much more powerful, so much more that needs to be the focal point than this craziness that surrounded this focal point. <clears throat> and so we see Matthew says in, in, in verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, it's incredible faith that these uh, people had who brought their uh, paralyzed friend or this person who was paralyzed. And I'm not hating on their faith. I'm not completely neglecting that. But I want to focus on what Matthew is focusing on, what Jesus really was focusing on and the, the point that he made. <clears throat> um, and he says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Like, your sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. No, like, I want my legs to be moving. I want to, like, be healed. And everyone watching right now when this happened is probably, like, in shock, like, confused, maybe angry, maybe scared. Like, they just sat here. You saw someone come to the ceiling. Jesus probably had to pause while this was happening. They're all like, oh, he's about to get this guy up. He's about to heal them. And Jesus says, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. This is crazy on a couple of accounts. One being the fact that they probably were like, this dude's going to heal him, right? He's going to say, hey, get up and walk. Hey, use your legs. I'm going to heal you. But he says your sins are forgiven, which is 
really the opposite of probably what people were thinking. And then secondly, at this point, uh, for your sins to be forgiven, you had to go to a temple. You had to go to a priest. You had to perform a sacrifice to God to be, have your sins forgiven. Only God could forgive your sins. So for Jesus to say this immediately, everyone took it as Jesus saying, I am God. If I can forgive your sins, I am God. I have the power of God. And so in verse 3 it says, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. This man is saying that he's God. This man is acting that he is God. Scribes back in the day were the people who were tasked with you know, writing and preserving and copying scriptures, among other things. So these guys kind of knew the scriptures fairly well, more than likely. And as, her, as soon as they heard this, they started thinking in their heart, they started thinking in their head, they started saying to themselves, you know, Jesus is, this guy is blaspheming. We want this man dead. That's essentially what they were saying. At that time, blaspheming was, you know, basically sentenced to death. And so we see these people have this internal thought. We see these people start judging, excuse me, immediately. Like Jesus is committing the ultimate sin. He's calling himself God. How dare he? But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He made a point to use the language that he used. He made a point to take this situation and to establish himself as the Son of God. This was the beginning. This was a foretelling almost of how forgiveness and how we as followers of Christ, as how Christians, followers of God, have a relationship with forgiveness. At this time, it was, as I mentioned, you had to go to a temple, you had to go to a priest, and you had to go straight directly through that to make the sacrifice. And what Jesus is saying, I'm coming to you, I'm creating a way of forgiveness so that I am the Son of God, so that I can make this way, is what Jesus is saying, for you to have access to forgiveness forever. And we know after this is when Jesus goes and he goes to Calvary, he dies for our sins, he pays the price for that ultimate forgiveness. And this is kind of the entry point. This is the first of him kind of telling this. So it's, in, it's, it's very, very um, just world-changing for these people in this room. For the people who are listening, the people who are wanting to see a magic trick, essentially, and they're seeing God, they're seeing Jesus really just begin the transformation of their minds of understanding of how forgiveness works for them. In verse 4 and 5, it says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God. And who had given such authority to men? Water break. Um, And so we see this transformation we see these friends, we see 
these people, they come seeking this healing. They come seeking their physical need, which is the most important thing in their mind at the moment, right? Like, if you can imagine what it must be right now, if you can imagine being the paralytic in this story for a second, if you can imagine, you know, we don't know much about him. We just know that he was paralyzed. And you imagine being lowered in front of Jesus. You're sitting on this mat, and all you can probably think about is, man, what would it feel like to be healed right now? What would it feel like to have, like, is this actually going to happen? Is this happening? Like, as your, people, as your friends or these people are carrying you, they say this guy is in town that's doing something that you didn't even think was possible. Never in your, in your mind probably did you think that you could be healed, that this guy think he could be healed. And he gets brought in front of this man who is doing all these crazy things. You've heard of people being healed. And all he's thinking about is, Jesus, just let me walk. Heal my body. Let my physical body be healed. Let me walk. And what Jesus is saying is that as big of a problem and as how powerful and how much of a need there is for your paralysis and how much of a physical need you have, there is a sin problem. There is a spiritual problem that is much deeper We come to Jesus with a lot of things, right? Like financial stress, relational stress, our anxiety when we lose a job, when we can't make a decision, when we're trying to decide where we're going to go, or maybe much more severe when we're suffering or someone we care about is suffering. I can think about my life many times that I have had all of these things happen. When I've lost jobs, when financially it's been tough, I've lost family members, to sickness. And I can think in those situations how prominent, how powerful, and how much I thought I, I, and how much I wanted and desired for those things to be resolved. Can you think about any time like that in your life when all everything in your whole world revolved around one thing that you needed to be solved, you needed maybe it was a sick relative, and God, you just wanted them to be healed. Maybe you lost your job and you're you don't know how you're gonna pay rent or put food on the table, you don't know what you're gonna do there, and you're just man, if I could just solve this. Those things are so important and those things are so powerful in our lives when they go there. And what Jesus is saying, I understand how important these things are. But you have to understand your spiritual need will always triumph your physical need. And when I think about it, it's crazy to think that when we have these things in our lives, when you look at this paralyzed man who came and, I mean, he can't do anything. He's paralyzed. He's sitting there. His friends are having to even take him to this guy. Probably the only thing in his life that mattered was being able to walk, to be able to use his arms, to be able to do something. And Jesus is saying, as powerful and as much as you need that, you need your sins forgiven more. I think about how often we worry about these things that are happening in our lives, and mostly rightly so. Like, these are things that deserve worry and care and focus. But we neglect our spiritual health. We neglect our soul, and that's what Jesus is making a point of, is saying you have to understand that as bad as these things are, the forgiveness of your sins is even more important. David Platt says, 
he puts it in a much more concise way as probably I can. He says, our ultimate need is never physical. Our ultimate need is always spiritual, no matter what type of suffering we are facing. We overlook these small or big sins that have crept into our lives. They've planted roots, slowly draining our spiritual health. You see, we must understand that sin has consequences. I think so many times it's so easy to forget that, you know, if we just continually live in sin, if we just continually kind of have some small sins here and there, and we're kind of okay with these things being in our lives, that that has consequences. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift... The free gift of God is internal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin separates us from God. It eats away at our soul. It eats away at our life, and it slowly destroys you. You know, I I think this is important for people who maybe are not followers of Christ, and you've never experienced forgiveness. You may not even be aware of sin in your life. You may not even understand what that means, but I'm here to tell you that's a deep spiritual problem that needs to be healed. If you are a follower of Christ and you've experienced ultimate forgiveness, but at the same time you've started going through the motions and you've allowed sin to creep into your life and take hold of your soul and start burying roots and start eating away at you, and Jesus is saying you cannot live a life like this because it leads to consequences, it leads to pain, it leads to suffering. And so when we understand that one... that Jesus creates a better way to be forgiven because he has authority over sin. And then we understand why we need to be forgiven because it has consequences. It will lead to spiritual death. Then we have to understand how. How can we be forgiven? How how can we even understand that we are sinful? How do we even know what is sin in our lives? <clears throat> you know, it's, it's funny because I've, that's a, a, a big topic sometimes is people debate whether or not this is a sin or this is a sin or is this a sin or am I sinning if I'm doing it this way? Is, and, you know, you can blanket statements saying, well, sin is disobedience to God. You can look in the Bible, look at things like Ten Commandments. You can look at Jesus' life. Um, and there's a lot of ways that we can understand sin and what it has against us. But I think it's more important from the focal point to understand what forgiveness is and how Jesus has made that a possibility for us. When we live in sin, we reject the forgiveness Jesus gives to us. When we're continually accepting that sin is okay in our life, the price P- Jesus paid, this free gift of salvation, this free gift of, of forgiveness, is just, we reject it. When we're in physical pain and sickness, we have hope when we have been spiritually healed. What I mean is when the root of spiritual pain, sin, has been plucked out by Jesus in our lives, then we are able to have hope in Jesus even in our physical suffering. 
when we have that physical suffering here on earth, but we know that our salvation is secure, when that sin has been healed in our spiritual life, we have hope in that physical suffering. We have hope that there's a better way, that there's an ultimate healing to come. I want you to know that Jesus cares for your soul. He came to the earth so that he might conquer death and sin so that you could be forgiven. Your soul was not created to dwell in sin, but it was created to live in freedom with Jesus. You know, I think the first step is acknowledging that we have sin in our life. We have sin in this world. We have sin in our life. Once we acknowledge it, we have to repent from it. We have to understand that we confess and then we repent from this sin, and then we glorify God in the, uh, when he forgives us of that sin. And I think as you become a follower of Christ, it's sometimes easy to allow sin to stay in our lives when we're not focused on this, when we're not making it a point to understand where is sin in our life. Are we falling? Are we falling short? Should we be uh, removing things from our lives? Should we be adding things to our lives I picture it this way, like a, if you're in a pitch black room where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Everybody's been in the darkness before like that sometimes where like literally can't see anything. And imagine you're in this room and uh, there's a door and the door has light on the other side. And if you just crack the door open, a little bit of light comes in, right? So you're in this dark door, the dark uh, room, closet, the door cracks open. You can see a little bit. The more you open that door, the more you can see in that room. And sometimes that's how our relationship with Christ and sin works. The the more we know God, the more we, we follow Jesus, the more we come in contact with Jesus, the more we are aware of sin in our lives and around us and, and what we need to, to rid ourselves of for Jesus to come in and, and pluck that sin out of our lives because the closer we come to God, the farther God wants sin away from us. And so when Jesus forgives our sins... When that's removed from our lives, the hold it has on us, when it's removed, we can fully experience what that freedom of forgiveness is. You know, when we sing these songs, I was sitting back here when we were singing these songs, and I was sitting down because I'm trying to conserve my energy, uh, not because I didn't appreciate the music, but when we're singing these songs, I'm sitting there thinking about how wonderful it is, some of these words and lyrics we, we, we sing. And then I started thinking like, man, if I hadn't experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, this wouldn't make any sense to me. These songs, these lyrics, I, I would be just kind of lost on the point of like, if we haven't experienced Jesus in our lives, if we haven't experienced forgiveness, it may even seem like, what are we even talking about here? And what I want you to know if you're sitting in that situation is that Jesus died for your sins. He created a pathway so that you didn't have to go running, challenging, live a crazy life to get to this point to where Jesus would finally say, okay, I'll accept you. Jesus is saying, I've paid the way. I've put in the work. I've paid the price because I love you and I want you to experience forgiveness through what I've done for you. And this brings us to the good news that Jesus is God and he has come and he has come to forgive your sins. The scribes in the story were upset. They were saying that Jesus is saying things that made him sound like he is God. Well, the good news is, is he is God. So if you have sin in your life, you need it gone. 
Sin has consequences, and you will face those consequences. Sin can lead to pain, can lead to suffering, can destroy you, can lead to death. But Jesus is saying, I've paid that price. I've made the way. I've paved the way. I've come to you, and I need you to be aware of this, and I need you to confess these, and I need you to repent from these sins to experience my forgiveness and salvation. Maybe you were unaware of sin in your life. And, you know, what's incredible about this time is we're about to give you a time to talk with God, to, to ask God, where am I sinning in my life? What does this sin even look like? And I trust that God will show that in your life. Maybe you've never experienced Christ's forgiveness. Maybe you've never experienced what it means to repent from your sins, to confess from your sins. We're giving you a time now that where you can talk to God, you can make those sins known, you can repent, you can confess. If you don't know how to do that, if you don't know what that looks like, we're going to even have people here who are, who are more than willing to pray with you, to talk with you, to share more in detail what that looks like. Because I promise you there's nothing more than every body of believer, every brother and sister in Christ here wants is that you would experience the forgiveness that we have experienced. You know, we see a man who's physically paralyzed, but so many times I think we're spiritually paralyzed because we get these sins that put holds on us and we don't know where to go. We don't know how to get rid of it. And sometimes we don't even know we have it. And what Jesus is saying is we got to know. we got to find out. we got to talk to God. We have to be aware. We have to separate ourselves from this sin to have the freedom of forgiveness. I think sometimes as followers of Christ, we take forgiveness lightly. How many times I can think back on my life and think when I know I've sinned and I'll just say a quick prayer saying, oh, will you just forgive me of these sins? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And what we see here is Jesus is making a point that forgiving your sins is more powerful than making a paralytic walk. I mean, can you imagine if you took the gravity of that every time you came to, know, came to talk to God and you had a sin in your life, instead of just kind of pushing it on the side saying, hey, God, I know I sinned some this week. I'm not even going to name them because, you know, there's a lot of them, whatever. Go ahead and take care of those for me. Check. Thank you. Jesus is saying, this is a life-changing experience every time I've done it previously. The most important time was on Calvary, but I continue to do it in your life when you repent of this, when you confess this, and this is not a small little act. This is a life-changing miracle that's happening every time we bring it to God. When I was reading this, it was just heartbreaking to me when I think about how many times I've mistreated the way I asked for forgiveness. I didn't understand fully what Jesus was doing in my heart. Every time he was pulling that sin away from my soul, he was giving me life and taking away death. And I pray that you experience that, whether you've experienced it before and you need it again now, or you've never experienced it for in ever. And man, you got a hold on you. You have a sin that's plucked and dived deep and buried itself into your soul, there's no way you can claw that thing out. 
You don't even know it's there. And what Jesus is saying, I can do it. Jesus can come into your life. Jesus can come in and pull that out and give you the forgiveness, the freedom and forgiveness. Man, I want you guys all to have that. I want everyone to experience that. Even though I don't even live it myself sometimes. I'm not sharing it like I should be. I'm not treating it as holy as I should be sometimes. But man, when I get down to it, when I think about it, when I pray about it, when I read about it, I want everyone to experience the forgiveness that Christ has for you. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.